Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. Man, praise the Lord. This phone is fighting me, or this uh, microphone here is fighting me. It keeps trying to, it keeps trying to fall out. So instead of hooking it, we're just gonna, we're just gonna stick it in my pocket. How about that? Can you hear me a little better now? Can you hear me now, Preston? That's that's an amen from Preston. Thank you, Preston. That may be the only one I get today. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm glad we got that. I'm glad we got that out of the way early on here. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah, man! I'm so glad to be here. It is a it is an amazing honor and privilege to get to share God's word anywhere. Right? So this is I tell I tell a lot of people and they struggle to believe this and understand this, you know, but when you're in ministry and you're called to minister, what happens here from this pulpit is not is not ninety nine percent of the ministry. A lot of pastors go wrong by doing that, right? The only thing that they'll do is they get up and they preach and they're non-existent in the, in the rest of the week for their people. I see it in a lot of churches. But, you know, it's just as important that to be ready to preach the Word at Walmart. See, it's important to be the same person everywhere you go. So that's where a lot of Christians get a bad rap because they're not, they don't always act the same in every setting, right? And so... I remember my uh, my friend and mentor. You know, when I first got born again, of course, you know I was twenty eight uh, twenty eight years old when I got born again, and so you know I'd come out of a rough life, really extremely rough life, and I had an extremely rough past. And so, you know, when you get born again, you know immediately your mindset doesn't immediately change. That's what takes some work. It's actually going to be what we're part of what we're going to talk about this morning. So, but I remember that as a Christian, you know, young in the faith, I drink and cuss, and go on, you know, and act like an idiot. And when David Cadell used to come down there to the down there to the store, it seemed like I had to act differently. When people, I acted one way when I was around quotation fingers, normal people. But then I acted a completely different way if I knew there was something about getting in the presence of people that love the Lord that changes the entire temperature of the setting. You understand what I'm saying there? And so I can go places, and then people know me, know that I, you know, know that from Facebook or whatever else, you know, I can go places. And people that I know cuss and act like hoodlums and and everything else, I can walk into a setting and they'll change and they'll. I don't even have to ask them to. They'll refrain. They'll really try hard to keep from saying something that they think will offend me. Well, but too many times Christians are too easily offended, and they get run off. That's one thing the devil knows that he can do. You know, if he can get someone cussing going on. Around Christian people, Christian people will get offended. Oh, I can't be around that. And then they'll run off from the people that they're supposed to be ministering to. I had to tell you one story one time. 
I didn't, this ain't a part of my message. This is just a little side journey, but sometimes side journeys help us, don't they? There was a guy, and if I said the name, James would know him because he don't live far from Uncle James. So this guy, the Lord had kind of put him in my path to help and work with and so on and so forth. And he's kind of a rough character, which don't bother me. I used to be a rough character myself, way worse than this guy. Well, so over the course of time, I kind of, I, I developed, I, I really tried to develop somewhat of a friendship with this guy to help him. And uh, so it came about that I would talk to him, minister to him, and, and this guy, I almost called him by name. Mm. Like, Holy Spirit set a guard over my mouth, right? So this guy is a person that has a problem for every answer. He has a problem for every answer. He'll present you with a problem and he'll say this. And the Holy Spirit would speak and answer the question. And then immediately he would have another problem with the... And so he came up to me one time giving me this sad story about how it was coming up his birthday. His family didn't want anything to do with him. And nobody was going to be there to help him celebrate his birthday and all this different stuff. And so I'll never forget it. It was a Tuesday. I got the Lord said, go to Walmart. Get this man a pair of boots. Because he said, you know, because I asked him, I said, well, if you could have something for your birthday, what would you want? He said, well, I need a new pair of boots. I said, okay. My boots is wore out. I said, well, what size you wear? This is like a week before him. He told me the size. So I went down to Walmart and bought the best. Best, best pair of boots Walmart had in his size. I bought the best. I bought him a cake. I went to his house. I don't think if I, I don't think I've ever told the kids have never even heard this one, right? So this is good. This is a funny story. So I go to Walmart right after work. I get off work at four o'clock. I run down there. I buy this pair of boots. Buy this cake. I'm gonna go down there and have you know birthday cake with this guy who has no no family, no friends. Well, I get to his house, and he's not there. Pulled in, I was like, I wonder where he's at. So I got to thinking, and plain as just as you hear me talking, the Holy Spirit said to me, he's at the library. Well, I got to remember, the Holy Spirit recalled back to my memory that he, several times a week, he'll walk back and forth from the library renting movies down there. You know, he's got a little card, and he rents movies and so on. Holy Spirit, as plain as a bell, said, he's at the library. So I jumped in the truck, drove down to the library, walked in the library, and here he is standing there. He's going on with a big story, you know, and he turned around and saw me standing there, and he was shocked to see me standing there. He said, what are you doing here? I said, come here after you. It's your birthday. How'd you know I was here? I said, the Lord told me where you was at. <laughs> that really freaks people out, Uncle James, when you go when. You get into things like that. So I load him up in the truck. I take him back to his house. We're sitting on the front porch of his house. Okay, So he's sitting about like what Kenny's sitting. And I'm leaned up against the rail of his house. And he goes to giving me this big story about, you know, why the Lord done him this way and why the Lord done him that way. And just as plain as a bell, the Lord said to me, he said, you tell him, ask whatever question he wants to ask of me and I'm going to answer it. 
I said, called him by name. Almost called him by name again there. See, so James has got them eyes. He's it's like it's it's like I'm it's like I'm being interrogated here. I'm, I want to give up all the information. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I told him this. I said, you know what the Lord just said to me? He said, what's that? I said, the Lord said, you ask any question of him that you want the answer to, and he's going to answer you right now. So he started asking questions, and the Lord started answering him. The very first question he asked me, that he said, well, why do, why do I have to be poor? And it was just like, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to explain the way I see things, right? So I can't explain it real well, but sometimes I see things like pictures. That I, It's just the Lord will show me pictures. Sometimes it's like I see video footage, other times I just know things. Well, I saw in... I saw, just like in my mind, I saw it looked like a, a like a family tree lineage. Like you ever look on a, you know, like such and such was born and such and such was born and, it, and it'll give them the family lineage for the mom and the dad. I saw that. And I said, I called him by name. I said, you didn't have to be poor. I said, your problem is, I said, you bet your family's been ingrained with poverty for at least four generations. I saw back four generations. These people ingrained with poverty, with poverty, with a poor mindset, taught that they have to be poor, that they can't ever do any better. I said, that's your problem. Well, you could have knocked him over with a feather. But what really got exciting about the situation was, is I am leaned up. I'm leaned up against the rail of this cat's house like this. And he's sitting in a chair on his porch. And I look down the road around the curve, and I see this great big old tall guy with kind of looks like dreadlocks and this little old short heavyset woman walking up, walking up the road. No big deal. This is the city of Winsburg. But I'm looking, looking, looking. Well, they keep getting closer, and I'm talking, but I keep looking. Something keeps drawing my attention back to them. Well, they get to where, about where I can see, probably from here to the, oh, maybe a little further, a couple pews back from where Julie's is sitting. I notice that guy's a carrying a 12-pack of beer, and this woman's a carrying a bag full of food. Well, they get to the sidewalk there leading up to this old boy's house, and here they just make a left and come right up the, come right up the stairs, you know. And, and, and I'm sitting there. I was like, this is kind of odd. And they speak to this guy, and they're like, called him by name, and they said, hey, we got you this 12-pack of beer and this steaks and stuff for your birthday to celebrate your birthday. Well, these people live with him. See, he neglected to tell that part of the story that these people were living with him, friends with him, so they were going to have a big bash. Well, so he's extremely shocked. This is why I come to find out, this is why he is so shocked to see me standing there, right? A minister of the gospel at his house when they're fixing to have him a big, a, a big uh, party for his birthday. Because he and I both know he's told me <laughs> they're not having anything for his birthday. Well, so he's trying to run me out now. He's doing everything he can to run me out. Well, his buddy that's about half drunk comes out, sits down on the couch, plops down in his chair, starts cussing, going on, and everything else. The devil trying to run me off. So I just dug in even deeper. That devil that's in him ain't got the authority to push me nowhere, in or out. And I understand that. So, this old boy sitting there, he's about half lit. 
He starts, he says, well, I got questions you can't answer. I said, I really doubt that. Because <laughs> so they don't understand it's not me answering the questions. <laughs> this is, this is the, the ancient of days is prepared to answer any and all questions that he has. So this guy, he starts asking questions, right? He starts asking questions. He's sitting over here and he asks this question. He said, oh, I've talked to, I love it when people, it's funny how sinner people will get. <laughs> the spirit, a religious spirit will come about them and they'll start talking about the Lord and then it's like they take it. It's like they're transformed, you know, and all of a sudden they know all this different stuff about the Bible and everything else. You know, it's funny to me. I see that. So I watched this spirit, religious spirit come upon this guy. He said, well, I've asked people and scholars and theologians these questions and they don't have any earthly idea what the answer is. I said, well, you have me intrigued. What is your questions? He said, number one he started out with, he said, well, your Bible says that God created Adam and Eve. I said, well, it's not my Bible, but I didn't write it. I do believe it, though. Your Bible says that God created Adam and Eve. I said, that's right. And then Adam and Eve had Seth and Cain. I said, that's right. He said, then where'd all these other people come from when Cain went to the land of Nod? Your Bible doesn't say anything about God not about God making other people. And without, I mean without even thinking, the Holy Spirit answered and said, they didn't say that He didn't. Ba-boom. And I mean, and listen, you could have knocked that old boy over with a feather. And so then it's, and then it's, he's cussing and going on. Well, anyway, I spent, I don't know, two and a half hours there that night talking to this guy, talking to his wife, answering all these different questions and all this different stuff that they had. And the old boy that owned the house, he's wanting to run me out so he get to drinking that beer. So he fakes, he fakes a diabetic coma in the midst of all this that's going on. He's sitting there on this chair. Now he's, he's trying to run me out. So he's sitting there, right? And all of a sudden he starts flopping and a shaking and a going on, you know, and his tongues are hanging out and slobbering and going on, you know, and what freaks them people out. He's having a diabetic stroke, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, he was faking that as, I mean, it was as fake as, as Monopoly money. I could see right through it. But he was trying to run me out so they could get to drinking that beer, eating that steak, you know, that they were going to have for his birthday. So I just sat right there, waited a few minutes. They crammed sugar in his mouth and everything else, you know, and <laughs> rolled him back up on the chair. Well, he continued to lay there and moan for about an hour. <laughs> they wasn't a thing in the world wrong with him. I promise you, all he was doing was trying to run me off drink so he could get to drinking that beer. So I just dug in even deeper. I said, if you're going to get to drinking that beer, you're going to have to get past me and I'm going to stay here a while. Praise God. But the thing about this, after about two and a half hours, you know, that old boy told me, he said, You've, I've got to go. I said, why? Well, he was about almost sober at this point now. He said, you've about converted me to be a Christian. I said, you give me five more minutes and I'll have you. <laughs> but I had to get past all of that, you know, that spirit driving him trying to push me away. And so when you don't understand how things work, then people are easily offended. See, we talk about ministry. Well, that was more ministry in, in that three-hour block of time than a lot of people do in the course of a month or a couple months, right? But this pulpit right here is designed to edify the saints. This is The Lord told me one time, He said, you know, hospitals or churches should be a lot like hospitals. He said, you should have general care areas, 
You should have areas where need emergency rooms, where we need where we need emergency care. Then you need to have critical care units set up where you're taking care of people that have been wounded and damaged in the fight of faith. And so this this is this is definitely ministry, but man. The most, the major, highest majority of ministry will take place in day to day, everyday life. And so, with that said, we're going to start a series called "The Basic Principles of Christ." We're going to go back to the very foundation, and we're going to talk about some things. Why do you believe what you believe? That's the thing I want to challenge you. Why do you believe what you say you believe? If you're commanded in Scripture, and you are, to be ever ready to give a witness for why you believe what you believe, why do you believe what you believe? Because so many people believe what they believe based on the, what someone else has said and not based on what they've learned for themselves in the Word of God. Right? And this comes from, I'm going to read you, I'm going to read... Go to Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm going to read two verses, and then we're going to drop back, and we're going to actually read the entire fifth chapter as well, but there's some things I want you to see. When you get to Hebrews chapter 6, yell, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to start reading if that's all right. It says, therefore, how many of us know what therefore means? Because of this, because of what we just read, or because of the previous statement, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of doctrine, of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And then verse 3 says, and this we will do if God permits. All right, so think about it like this. How many people know that the pinnacle of a lot of people's ministry is they preach a message of salvation to a church that's born again three times a week? Which is important seemingly to people who have never heard that message. But right there, the writer of Hebrews says that that is the very elementary, basic principle of Christ. A faith of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. Doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands. All of these things that seasoned men are still preaching after 30 and 40 and 50 years in the ministry... It's the same thing that they're repeating over and over and over and over. They haven't graduated from elementary school. I didn't, I didn't say it. The Holy Spirit said that repentance from dead works and a faith toward God is an elementary principle of Christ. Elementary. So we're going to look at that. Go back to, go back to the very beginning, not Genesis Go back to the beginning of the fifth chapter. Don't go all the way to Genesis. We're not going to run from Genesis to Revelation today. Me and Juanita would like to eat lunch, wouldn't we, Juanita? 
<laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to hang out here all day. We want to. We want to get the message and then go home. Bless God. All right. Now, verse five or chapter five, verse one says, "For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both sacrifice, both gifts and sacrifices for sins." He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this he is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. Now it's important to understand here that the writer of Hebrews, who was most likely the Apostle Paul, is giving us an in-depth description of what it looked like for the high priest in the time of Israel what the high priest's job was in Israel. Okay? And it says, Because of this he is required as for himself, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So we see that this is not just the, the office of high priest, is not just a matter of election like we elect a president. That person that stood there, that truly stood there and offered up sins and give, and sacrifice, sacrifices for sins was a person selected by God. Now you'll see that when you go back through the course of Israel's history, they had evil high priests just like they had wicked kings. How <clears throat> I many you know you can have a pastor of a church that ain't supposed to be pastor in that church? You see what I'm saying? You can have a person filling an office that they're not supposed to be standing in. All right, so verse 5 says, So also Christ did not come to glorify Himself to become high priest, but it was said to Him, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. And He also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of His flesh, when He offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the, th the things in which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Woo! Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Man. Woo! That's good news. Called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Now this is where I really want you to listen because this particular part right here is where we're going to settle in in this particular area between verses the last half of verse 11 and the first two verses of chapter 6 is where we're going to hover and stay. Since you have become dull of hearing... For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, to discern both good and evil. Therefore, now that's where therefore becomes important. Therefore, because of this, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation 
of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That's a foundation. That's part of the foundation. Doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of, of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So what does the writer of Hebrews here call the foundation? Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. All right. Well, why is this important? Because if you're going to move on to perfection and be the person that God's called you to be, you can't live in a house that has only a foundation. Build a foundation and try to stay there and see what happens. Foundations have no bathrooms. It has no floor. It has no walls. It has no roof, no windows, no doors. This is why we see so many Christian people that are struggling in their faith every day. Because you know what we do? We give them a little bit of a gospel message. We preach the cross, right? Well, preaching just the cross is not a message of salvation because the cross was a place of defeat. So see, people, we've exalted that cross as an idol. That cross to a lot of people has become the golden calf like the golden calf did to Israel. The cross was a place of shame. The cross was a place of defeat. The cross was a set place where Jesus stepped into hell because hell is actually an, eternal, an existence separated from God. That's where He became separated from God. That's why you'll see that when on the cross, He cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was that separation from the first time in heaven and, and from the first time since ever God and Son, Father and Son, were separated. Mm. Man, He did that for you. He did that for me. Think about that. See, we sing songs, keep us at the foot of the cross. Why do you want to be at the foot of the cross? He ain't there. Why do you want to stay at a place of defeat and shame? If we're going to sing a song about staying somewhere, let's at least go over to the tomb where he came out. Victorious, triumphant, and glorified <laughs> over all the works of the devil. Praise God. Over victorious and triumphant over sin and all of its power. Hell and all, and all of its reach. The devil and all of his kingdom. He came out. And listen, he didn't come out limping. He didn't come out limping. He didn't come out from that grave limping, got a swollen up eye and a bleeding nose. No, he came out victorious, triumphant, and glorified. And it wasn't like these bad Facebook memes where you see it looks like an arm wrestling contest between Jesus and the devil. It was no competition. Trust me. No competition. So it's important to understand... When you start to see that these things are the elementary principles, these things are the base foundation, you'll see that why people's doctrine that they use to navigate their life is incorrect. Because if you have a foundation that's out of level, you have a house that's out of level. If you have a foundation that's out of square, you have a house that's out of square. If you have a foundation that is laid poorly and you build on top of it, you've got problems. Even the Lord Jesus used a parable about that. What did He say? He said, what shall I like in this generation? He said, what? 
he talked about, he said, a wise man does what? Builds his house on the rock. He said, and then when the storms of life come, when the rains hit it, he said, that house is unmoved. Why? Because the foundation, that wise man built his house on the foundation, which is the rock. But the foolish man did what? He built his house on sand. And then guess what happens? When the storms of life come, that foundation can't handle those storms. And when the rains beat against it, when the winds hit it, guess what happens? It says that house falls and great is its fall. Why is that important? Because the house, the house, the house, where the house is built. This is what we're talking about right here. This is an elementary principle to understand why do we believe what we say we believe? It's important. And so we're going to look at this. Because we want to have, if we've got holes in our foundation, praise God, we want to start here and repair them. Get them fixed up right. So you'll, you'll start to see that where people will seemingly have a strong house and a strong foundation, but how many people know the devil knows where to hit? So he's not going to come at you in the areas where he knows you're strong. I use myself for an example. <laughs> and I like to do that a lot. I seemingly struggle with people and their driving skills. <laughs> I struggle with people and their ability to drive. And so guess what happens? It never fails that when I, seeming, when I pull into Walmart parking lot, guess what? There'll be someone that'll get from me to that book right there and will pull out in front of me. Look at you the whole time. Bat their eyes at you like a, fro- a toad frog in a hailstorm. Ding, 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 and just pull right out in front of you. <laughs> They'll do it. Huh? How many people like to be driving down the outer lane at Walmart over there where the huddle house is, and you're on your side of the road, right there on the lines, and someone else is driving right in the middle. Hmm? i tell you one of my favorites. I live over behind the pilot station. This is my all-time favorite. I love, thoroughly enjoy pulling in, trying to go home, for lunch or whatever else, and I make my I make my turn in between the shell station and the pilot station to see a conga line of cars starting at the stop sign, and they go in a big line all the way across the road over here to the shell station parking lot, and they're blocking traffic, and they're sitting at, looking at you like this right here. <laughs> well, think I got my was he made at me? I got every right to be on his side of the road blocking his lane. If I had a monster truck. (laughs) (laughs) If I had a monster truck, baby, I'd be on the front of the Corbin newspaper. (laughs) You'd see, I'd let them get out. I'd let them get out. I'd rev I'd pull that truck, rev it up, let them get out of there. Boy, I'd back that sucker up, just wham, hit that thing wide open. You'd see, you'd see it right now. Local minister in monster truck 
And all you'd see is this big monster truck picture. People taking pictures of me about 10 feet in the air jumping this big, <laughs> big load. He's had enough. He's lost it right here, boys. He's, whoo. That's what I, in my mind, that's some of the stuff that's going on. I'm thinking, right, because the, the kids are laughing because they're like, we can see, really see Dad doing this. <laughs> huh. That's something really, 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 really. I, I have a great appreciation for the people's lack of ability to drive their vehicles. Well, guess what? The devil knows that. So guess what he'll do? He'll be sitting there. He will. He will. And so I've learned. <laughs> I've learned. You got to keep your mouth in check. Right? Because when the devil, and I told this to Cheyenne this morning, and this is going to hear me, this is going to hear something you're going to hear me say over and over and over again. When the devil knows what rings your bell. He's going to keep on ringing it until you get control of it. He's going to do it. He's going to keep on coming at you until you get that area under control. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's important because then we have to start looking at the foundation. Where have I missed something here? Right? A lot of people want to blame their lack of results on God's Word not being true. And what they've really done is they've blamed God who's perfect. His Word is perfect. He's never failed anyone that would ever believe Him. And they've taken Him and they've made Him a liar because of their lack of understanding. Because their understanding is based off the understanding, which is based off the understanding, which is based off the understanding of someone else, and that they're, they've got to the point to where they've watered the Word down so much that they really don't know what they believe. It's like, you know, go back to the cross. Preaching strictly that Jesus died on the cross was not... You will never attain salvation there because the death, the burial... And the resurrection all has to be preached. Because if he had just died on that cross, and that's where the church stays. A lot of the church stays there. We write songs about it. We sing songs about it. But we don't live in the resurrection. That's where we're supposed to be living. If he just died on that cross, we, of all people, Paul would say it like this, are the most pitiful. If he wasn't really raised from the dead, then we, of all people are the most pitiful. We of all people are the biggest fools on the earth. If he didn't really raise, if God didn't really raise him from the dead, then to, let's eat and drink and tomorrow we die. We have no hope. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Didn't matter if he died on the cross a thousand times. If he wasn't resurrected, we have no hope. So see, you'll see that when you start to see people, if you'll listen to spirit, if you'll listen and start to tune in your spirit and study and purpose to understand and serve God faithfully, He'll show you things that'll help you. And you'll see things in other people. You'll see other people 
when all this stuff started with Black Lives Matter. I came here and, and they're burning cities to the ground and all this different stuff. I came here, I preached a message called Shaken Kingdoms where we saw all of these ministries and all these churches and all these pastors jumping online supporting Black Lives Matter who are pro-homosexual, pro-gay, pro-lesbian, pro-every type of, uh, almost every type of, every type of sexual deviation. And they support abortion and all these different things. Well, you can't, Belial and Christ can't coexist. Light and darkness can't coexist. So you can't be Christian, honestly, genuinely Christian, and support those things. But we saw that movement, didn't we? We saw all those people jump on that movement. Why? Because their kingdom that they've built is built on part of it. Is built on a shape, is built on sand, and you can have that. You can have a foundation where part of your found, part of your kingdom that you've built is on the rock, and part of it's on the sand. Jesus didn't tell you to build on the sand, so guess who built it there? Well, I went to seminary. I don't care where you went. Well, I've got a PhD. I don't care what you got. You don't believe the Word of God properly. You ain't got nothing. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you got. I've debated these people. I've had discussions with these people. They don't like me because they got PhDs and master's degrees and all these different things, and I got the Holy Ghost. I have the mind of Christ. I have the wisdom from the ancient of days, and I have learned a long time ago to shut me off and let Him speak. And guess what? Those knuckleheads ain't. So all those PhDs that they got in theology and doctrine and all this bunch of nonsense, guess what? It might as well stand for a post hole digger. Because like Brother Hagin would say, even a common regular old post hole digger would have more faith and sense, the common sense than those people have got. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> but they want to be exalted as intellectuals. They want to be exalted for their wisdom. And guess what? Whatever you do to be seen by men, guess what Jesus said? That's your reward. You'll have no reward from God. That wasn't even a part of my message, but here we go. Man, it's time to get this. I'm going to have to hurry. Me and Juanita want ready to eat lunch. We're going to start. James, you're going to start listening faster. You're going to start listening faster here, Uncle James. <laughs> All right. So the elementary principles, the foundational principles. This is crucially important. But here's something I want you to see. All right. So the fifth chapter is talking about the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? I hear Christian people and they'll make fun of the Catholics. Well, oh, well I don't need a priest. Because they don't like the Catholics. Well, they don't understand what they're saying because they're actually saying, I don't need Jesus because if you don't need a priest, then you don't need the high priest. And Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our faith, our confession, right? So you got trouble. So see, people are moved by the flesh and then they start running their mouth and then they don't realize where they've opened the door and now they're having trouble, right? So the priesthood of Jesus... Well, what did the high priest do? Well, it's important to understand and study what the high priest did in Old Testament times. The high priest was the only one that had access to go into the holiest of holies. 
He's the only one that had the right to step into the very presence of God. And even in doing so, there were certain things he had to do. He had to be ceremonial cleansed. He had to be doing all these different things, just like what he was told, because guess what? If he stepped into the presence of God and he wasn't doing and he hadn't done everything that he was supposed to do, guess what they did? They drug him out because he checked out. He didn't last long. So it's important. The high priest is the guy that went to the altar, to the holiest of holies. And he's the one that made the sacrifice, he made the offering for the sacrifice of the entire nation for the sins of the entire nation. So it was important. So we're starting to see, you'll come to find out that Jesus was made like a man in every way. He was 100% man and 100% God. How he could be both, I don't know. Ask him. But he was. He was 100% man, 100% God, and everything that he did was as a man filled with the Holy Ghost, walking in perfect fellowship with God, walking in perfect fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So it says, you'll come to find out that he was in all points tempted, yet remained without sin. Well, that means he was tempted to do every type of bad thing that there was. He had to be. Because if he wasn't, then he can't be the faithful and merciful high priest to those who are tempted. So see, it's very important that everything that you struggle with to understand, Jesus has struggled against, and even greater, because he had to endure temptation of every type that there is. Every type. And to say anything less is taking away from his work. Because people don't like to hear that. Well, was Jesus tempted to be a homosexual? He had to be. People don't like to hear that. Religious spirits buck up on people and they want to fight over that. Well, it, it, it says that in all points, the Word of God says He was tempted in all points. Wouldn't that fall under the all points? Just because you're tempted, here's another foundational incorrect teaching. People think just because you're tempted, you've sinned. Temptation, just because you're tempted of something, doesn't mean you're sin- that you've sinned. So just because he was tempted with something doesn't mean that he was guilty of sin. He was perfect, right? You might even say it like this, he had good genetics. <laughs> he had his father's DNA. Woo! Whew. Praise God. All right, so that's good. Understanding his work as the high priest. This is important because when you don't understand this, then it becomes a debate about what really happened and what Jesus really did. All right, so check this out. Verse 11. Remember I told you that was where we were going to hover and really stay? This is really good because once we go through this little part right here, it's going to explain so much to you about why you see so many Christian people at various ages and have been in the faith for various different times struggling and failing and wandering away. Ready for this? What's verse 11 say? Go back to verse 11, the last half. It says, since you have become dull of hearing. So here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ is called to be a high priest of the same order as Melchizedek. Okay, Melchizedek is a very interesting character. 
No one can tell you who he is. Don't let anybody lie to you. Because the, a lot of intellectual people just try to play it off as he was a king of the town of Salem. Well, Melchizedek, king of Salem means king of righteousness. Well, they'll tell you that this guy was just an earthly king in whom Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils of the war with the six kings to. Well, that is right. He was in an earthly form, but we come to find out that Melchizedek was a person, not a person, but was someone without beginning and without end. And he has no mother and he has no father. All right, So you'll throw that one at the intellectuals and they get mad about it and they'll try to tell you the Bible's talking about two different Melchizedeks. It's not. So Jesus is called along the same order, in the same order as Melchizedek. So you could think about it like this. Melchizedek was the high priest on the earth before Jesus came. And then when Jesus came, Jesus took over the high priesthood. And now that's what that means, along the same lines, in the same order. So now he is the high priest in heaven, and he's the high priest on the earth. Man, that's beautiful. Jesus is beautiful. Oh, Boy, like I got to teach, and I'd like to cut loose right there and just, whoop, glory to God. All right. Whoo! Think about that. Man, he is beautiful. He's the high, he is your high priest in heaven. And on the earth, He's there for you. See, think about that. Why? Because it says that a high priest taken among men is able to have compassion on those who are going, who are ignorant and going astray. Well, that's one of the reasons Jesus had to come here and be the high priest. So that when we're ignorant and going astray, praise God, He's merciful. He can say, Father, I've been there. I understand the temptation. I understand the trouble. I, I struggle. I understand the trial. Praise God. I jump right in there with you. See that? It's important to know. Jesus is not when you're struggling and and tempted to mess up. And even if you do mess up, you know we, we've preached God like He's a bad dad. We've preached the Lord Jesus like He's an unmerciful high priest. That when you mess up, He's ready to kick you in the rear end and kick you out of the house. He ain't like that. God ain't like that. He ain't ready to run you off. Just because you've sinned and messed up, the devil's trying to convince you that he wants to run you off so that he can drive you out of the presence of the only source of help that can help you. That's how the devil works. God ain't trying to run you off. He loves you. Mm. Doll of hearing. It's an interesting term. It says, you have become doll of hearing. You have become, translated, dull, or the, you, the phrase you have become gives us the understanding of a regression from a higher spiritual point to a lower spiritual point. They've went backwards. They went so far, and they turned around, and they started wandering away. You have become a regression from a higher spiritual point back to a lower one. And we're even seeing this because the writer of Hebrews is comparing... What's he comparing? He's comparing a natural body. So we're going to see that. You have become. That's a regression from a higher point to a lower point. Dull, no thros. That is mean dull, like we think dull. Dull means lacking, you know, in the English language... 
You look the definition up for that, and it means lackluster. It's lost its shine, right? Dull here, though, translated from the Greek word nothros, means slothful. It means indolent. Does anybody here know what indolent means? I didn't either. I looked that up, and then I had to have a dictionary to interpret my dictionary. Happens to me a lot. (laughs) Indolent means, listen to this, indolent means wanting to avoid activity or exertion, being lazy. Woo! That's good preaching, Brother Brown. <laughs> you just if it's a standard rule of thumb, and you can go anywhere, any church, any denomination, and ask any pastor, and you're going to come to find out this is almost a 100% standing rule. You will have whatever number of people you have, you will have 10% of the people doing all the work. So if you have 100 people in the church, you've got 90 people that are spectators. They're expecting to be entertained. They're expecting to be given something. And you have 10% of the people that are given back. It's truth. I've seen it. I've got friends in various different denominations, various sizes of churches. And that is something that you'll see. Why? Because no one wants to do anything. Because they have become no thralls. They started out and they were super excited to be born again. And then the old work site mentality hit them. Well, that guy ain't doing nothing. If he ain't doing nothing and he's getting paid more than I'm getting paid, I ain't doing nothing either. Right? That's how people think, ain't it? And that's, they take that work site, that job site mentality and apply it to their Christian walk. Little do they know that you know what Colossians 3 and 23 says. It says, therefore, everything that you do, let everything that you do be done heartily, not as unto men, but unto God or as unto the Lord. Another translation would say it like this. Let everything that you do be done with your whole heart. Like you, not like you're doing it for men, but like you're doing it for the Lord Jesus Himself. So think about that. What if everything that you did in your life was from the perspective, I am doing this directly for the Lord Jesus? How much more would, that, would you want to do better? How much better of a mechanic would you want to be? How much better of a superintendent would you want to be? How much better of a whatever I am doing right particularly right now. I don't know what I'm doing. It's hard to pin down my exact job description. <laughs> How much better would you clean your house? How, everything that you're doing. It says let everything that you do. Well, does that mean everything? No, that don't mean everything. The Holy Spirit just used that word for no big... Really, it only means about half the stuff that you're doing. If I told you I was going to give you $1,000... And then only gave you 50 bucks. I ain't gave you all of it, have I? <laughs> it ain't going to take you long. He promised me $1,000. You know how much he, he came up and gave me a 10, patted me on the back, said, there you go, buddy. <laughs> kind of the way that we do the Lord, though, ain't it? Let everything that you be done. Let everything that you do or everything that's being done be done with your whole heart. Like you're doing it for the Lord Himself. So see, you'll find joy in that. You'll find doing crap jobs that you give it even more attention, especially when no one's looking. Because how many of you know it's easy to do what's right when everybody's looking? What about when no one's looking? And you can cut that corner, or you can 
shave an hour off your time by cutting that corner, even though it's not right. And you know, later on down the road, someone it's going to potentially be a problem. But what if it was Jesus's house you were working on? See, that's the thing. You're going to come to find that Jesus, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, everything he dealt with, he dealt with the heart of man. He dealt with the heart of man. And that's what prompts us to do better. But how can we do better when we don't know? We have problems in our foundation. We've become no thralls, dull of hearing, lazy. We don't want to do anything. Well, I think I'll call in. I don't feel like going down there and preaching today. My friend Jerry Knowles was here last week. We went out and had lunch after the fact, him and his wife, Stephanie. Good people, wonderful people, good friend of mine. He said uh, they come from a big church. They go to a big church up in Berea, right? Several hundred people. And (laughs) eating lunch after the fact, he said, man, let me ask you a question. I said, what is it? He said, he said, man, he said, man, you preach like there was a hundred people there. I said, what's your point? He said, well, but there was only just a couple. He said, there wasn't even 10 people there. I said, don't make me no difference. I said, that's one thing I learned from Brother Hagin. Brother Hagin go out and preach in front of 10,000 people or two people and was exactly the same. Why? Because those two people deserve the exact same message, the exact, giving it everything you've got, just like those 10,000 people have got it. Praise God, if 10,000, if you can't be moved to preach the gospel for two people, you, you don't, then you're only doing it in front of 10,000 to be seen by men. I'm going to preach this gospel the same way everywhere I go. It don't matter to me if, it, if just Preston showed up here. I'm going to preach this gospel the same way. Why? Because the Lord deserves the best. I, I, I'm doing this for Him. I'm standing in this office for Him. I'm doing this for Him. He's watching me right now. He's here. He said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, what? I'm there. He's here. Praise God, I'm going to preach this thing like I'm trying to, like I'm trying to get Jesus Himself born again. Praise God. How about that? Think about that. Preach that message like that. Teach that message like that. Teach Him in truth. Preach Him in truth. Praise God and you'll see results. Things will grow. You'll water a seed. You'll plant a seed. Praise God and people will get on fire for the Lord and they'll want to do things for the Lord again. You know what I mean? Woo! Sometimes you got to light your own fire, don't you, Uncle James? you got to light your own fire. Why? Because it's easy to become no thrust, dull, indolent, slothful, lazy. It even said stupid, but I wasn't going to. I was like, man, that's kind of. Well, I, well, <laughs> I, like, I was like, wow. I was like, man, that's tough. I'm not. I was like, I can't. I'm not going in there and just saying that. I had it in my notes, but I was like, wow. I was like, man, that's hurtful. I kind of hurt my own feelings there. I was like, man, I don't hurt nobody's feelings. I want to motivate people. To do better. But I don't ever want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, I, I love to hear these people just say, Boy, our pastor really stepped on our toes this weekend, this Sunday. What good did it do you? Did you learn anything? Did it motivate you to do any better? Truthfully do any better? Because if it didn't, all you all he did was wasted his time and all you got was sore totes. Yes, sir. And no one learned nothing out of the deal. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> the foundation over truth, which is the Word of God. That's right. We're going to keep on going. Ready for this? Hearing, dull of hearing, 
Think about it like this. Hearing here is the Greek translated from the Greek word akoe, and this really is literally the word for the ear. This is the Koine Greek word for the ear. But it can also mean your sense of hearing. And as I was sitting there writing this, the Holy Spirit said it to me like this. He said, you could put this in your notes. It's like someone who has selective hearing. Selective hearing. So sometimes Eli Thomas has selective hearing. And I'll tell him to do something and he kind of struggles. Yeah. What? What did you say, Dad? Was you talking to me? Like, did you tell me to clean up this holy room? I didn't thank you. I didn't hear you, Dad. No, they're good. They're good kids. But everybody knows someone that has selective hearing. Used to, I had one of the best selective hearers in the business. If I didn't like you, I could look at you right in the eyeballs, and I could just, for, I could just about interpret by watching your mouth move when I'm just supposed to nod my head or watch your face and this and that, and I wouldn't hear you a bit more than really anything. i just check out. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yeah, buddy. Okay, see you. <laughs> Not hear a thing. It's important to be honest about this stuff, right? Because in that, that's where we make our ground. So this is where we gain ground. So it says, you have become dull of hearing. All right? So think about this. Now I move on to verse 12. This is where things get interesting a little bit. Verse 12 here says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have become to need milk and not solid food. All right. So now we look at this, and we see here that who said they ought to be teachers by now? God. See, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible through men. So the Holy Spirit is looking at this church and it's say, the Holy Spirit is saying to this church, because of the amount of time that you have already been in the faith, you should be yourself a teacher by now. But they're not. It says, because due to their regression from a higher spiritual point to a lower spiritual point, what has happened now? They've come to need milk and not solid food. Think about that. See, it says here, it says, the first, you need someone again to teach you the first, translated from the Greek word RK, and it can mean the extremity of something, the tail end of something like a sail. But really in this setting, here's what it means is to... It means the beginning or place of origin. So it says you need someone to take you back to the very beginning, the very origin of the gospel, and start teaching you again. Because you went so far and now you've become, you've become nothros, dull, slothful, indolent, lazy, to the point that you've lost everything that you, you've completely regressed from the place that you was to back to zero, to where you can't even eat solid food. You need milk like a what? So you grew up and then went backwards. That's what he says right there. It must be possible. How many people think about that? Look at the church now. Look at the churches. Look at people that you've known that have been Christians for five, 
two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And I got 35, get 40, and I got 45, get 50. My grandpa used to be an auctioneer. But we see these people that have been in the faith all this time, yet they're doing nothing. Except really being a bad example. Anybody got Facebook? <laughs> it don't take long being on Facebook with people that are Christian people to realize they were probably at a higher spiritual point at one point, but they have definitely regressed. See that? So it's a regression. Moving backwards, lost ground. You've went all the way back to needing milk because you can't handle the Word anymore. Principles here, translated from the Greek word stoikion, and that means a rudimentary basic principle. Rudimentary. The very most basic. Like a newborn baby needs milk. So they've been born again, they've grown, then they didn't then they started getting carried away. What happened? They have not tended to the they've not tended to the gift that they were given. They went so far and then someone hurt them at church and they went backwards and quit church and quit God and quit everything altogether. Or various other things. Alright, so think about this. We've got a few minutes left. What can cause this regression? See, I hear people make this statement all the time. Well, if God does something, He does it right. I agree with that. But He'll do something and hand it to you for you to take care of. You want proof of that? He planted a garden eastward in Eden and put His man there to tend it and take care of it. See that? That was before the fall. And the Lord God planted, Jehovah Elohim planted, planted, think about that, the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. Man, that's pretty cool. There's a lot to this show that we don't really, really even begin to get a grasp on. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. And He put His man there, Adam, Hebrew for man. He put His man there, He put Adam there to tend it and take care of it. And He said, subdue it. I give you dominion over all the earth, over all the works of my hands. Now go out and replicate the garden all across the face of the earth. That's a whole other teaching for a whole other time. But we want to see that when God does something, He creates it and then hands it off to you. So you were born again. He hands it off to you. Now who's responsible for your walk? You are. Not your pastor. Not your favorite minister. Not mama. I watched a church completely implode because they're, they're, that 95% of the people in the church, their faith was in the pastor and not Jesus, and it crumbled when he died. I watched it. I stood there and watched it happen because their faith was in this great man of God, and he was a great man of God. Miracles, signs, wonders brought through this man's ministry. James saw some of them. We were there. Oh, David yeah, man. But he was anointed man of God. And when he died, that church failed. And hard was its fall because their faith was in him and not in the Lord. Right? So let's look at what can 
What are some things here? You know, thank God the Bible will give us all the answers we need. So what causes this regression? Well, if you go to the parable of the sower, you'll find the answer. Here's what Jesus said. How many of you have heard of Him? Y'all heard of Jesus? Yeah, I think we've all heard of Him. All right, this is what the Lord Jesus has to say about the matter about regression. Matthew 13, 22. If anybody at any point, I, I don't print stuff off, but if you wanted a copy of all, I mean, I, if you wanted a copy of these notes or scriptures or whatever else, you can get with me and I can give it to you. It's not a, it's not a big deal. Uh, Matthew 13, 22. This is what Jesus said. It said, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. That's Matthew 13, 22. Mark would say it like this. Mark chapter 4, verse 18, 19. Now these are the ones sown among the, among the thorns. He's talking about the seeds. They are the ones who hear the word. And you're going to see it phrased a little differently right here. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. All right. Now Luke, this is beautiful because Luke gives us another dynamic, another side to the story about this. Here's what Luke says, Luke 8 and 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who have heard, go out, and are choked with cares, riches, and the pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So think about it like this. Here are some things that is listed right here, and I broke these down. So the very first thing on the list that's mentioned, cares of this world, Maremna, Strong's number 3308, distractions, worries, and anxieties. That's what that means. The deceitfulness of riches. So there's a lot of bad teaching on this one. Deceitfulness of riches. The love of money. Money's the root of all evil. Anybody ever hear that? Anybody ever hear a pastor get up and bang a pulpit? You ain't supposed to have nothing. Money's the root of all evil. God don't want you to have nothing. The love of money is the root of all evil. So my pastor, Chris Romine, says it like this. He got two really good quotes on it, and I wrote these down. Number one, he says, Money is a great tool, but a horrible master. Well, if you're not supposed to have money, if God don't want you to have anything, why do you have anything? See, these guys, their foundations are not right. right? So, you know, you can have a car as long as it's junk. You can have a house as long as it's falling down. You know, you can have clothes as long as it's, you know, bought from the thrift store and a secondhand stuff. Well, what's the difference? What makes a difference if it's new or not? If you're not supposed to have it, don't have it. I mean, bless God, walk down the street naked with no house, no car, don't have nothing. See, it's like, you know, I, we'll hear, we get through these foundational teachings, and we're going to teach on the subject of healing. People. <laughs> There's a lot of people, and you may not believe this. Maybe you would. There's a lot of people in the ministry do not like me because I challenge them heavily. Sickness is the will of God. Really? It is, huh? Yes, it is. 
Okay, well, if sickness is the will of God and you're sick, why are you going to the doctor? If sickness is the will of God, if it's God's will for you to be sick and you get sick, why are you going to the doctor? Sounds to me like you're trying to get out of His will. Praise God. If, if sickness is God's will, let's be as sick as we can possibly be. But if sickness is not God's will, then let's be as healthy as we can possibly be. See that? See, the people love that, that stuff. I mean, it just gratifies the flesh when you say stuff like that. But you ever notice it's like you made a bad burrito. It makes your flesh shut up, but on the inside of you, your spirit's just a churning. It's like, that's not right. But people still go with it. Why? Because they want to be known as their denomination. Well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Pentecostal, or I'm Church of God, or I'm this, or I'm that. And they'll hold to these teachings because they don't, they don't want to admit that they were wrong. I'll tell you an example of this. Brother Hagin was preaching at a church, and he said uh, that... He said he, he said he was there, you know, and he would go hold services for weeks. He'd go places and hold services for weeks, six, eight weeks. He said the Lord spoke to him concerning the pastor. He said, the pa- now this pastor is a young man in his mid-30s, young wife, pastor in a big church. He said the Lord spoke to him, told him, said that pastor's going to die. Told him an approximate time frame of when this guy was, was going to check out. He's going to die. Brother Hagin said, surely that's not right. Surely that's not right. Can I, do, what can, I, can I do something to help him? So Brother Hagin started talking to him. After a couple of weeks, even the guy's wife came to him. Pastor's wife came to him and said, Brother Hagin said, can you do something? She said, I just get this horrible feeling that if he don't correct his teaching and the way that he believes, I'm afraid he's, he's not going to live much longer. Brother Hagin said, I know. So the Lord revealed to me that he's not going to live much longer. He said, so they were sitting at lunch one day. Listen to this. They were sitting at lunch one day, and he, him and Brother Hagin were talking. He said, you know, I told Brother Hagin, he said, you know, used to, he said, I used to preach heavily against some of the stuff that you've come in here teaching on. And he said, now I've sit, you know, and, and he said, you know, because Brother Hagin would have, they'd have three services a day, or two services a day. They'd have teaching in the morning, preaching at night for weeks at a time, take off on Saturdays. Well, he said that pastor never would come. Never would sit in any of the teaching meetings. Never would come. Any of the teaching services or anything. Never would come. So after several weeks, he's talking to this guy. And the guy told him. He said, I've realized, I've come to realize that you, what you're teaching is right and what I've been preaching is wrong. And Brother Hagin said, well, that's good. He said, just, he said, just correct, repent, and, 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 and move on. You know what that guy told him? He said, I'd rather die then stand in front of my church and admit that I was wrong. And Brother Hagin said he was in a meeting about two months later and the wife knew he was down there, called him and said the pastor died because he wouldn't, he, he would rather have died than to admit that he was wrong. And this, that sounds horrible, but I'm telling you, there are people, especially in ministry positions, they would rather die than admit that they were wrong. And that's what happens to them. So that's why you'll see that there are a lot of ministers that die at young ages. 
pastors, pastors of churches that die in their 40s and 50s, or they'll hit 45 and then sickness plagues them for the last 20 years of their life because they won't correct, they won't repent. So let's don't be like that. Let's, let's be known for people that believe God, believe His Word, quick to repent, quick to forgive, and quick to receive. Because we, we want to help people, and we want to we be a blessing to people. We don't want to be a hindrance to anybody. Kenny even said that in his prayers. Let's don't, let's don't be a hindrance to anybody. And so one of the biggest ways that we can keep from being a hindrance is by making sure we know what we're talking about. Okay, so we've talked about the high priesthood. We've talked about we see that the Word says, and we're going to land on this. We see that the Word says that you can become, you can regress from a higher spiritual point to a lower spiritual point. Right? And we see that people, they, they can, due to lack of want to learn, lack of wanting to serve the Lord, that that's what really leads us down. We see that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, we see that those things really are a hindrance to us. Uh, another quote from my pastor, it says, it's perfectly fine to have money as long as money doesn't have you. It's perfectly fine to have money as long as money doesn't have you. What's that mean? It means you're not covetous. It means you're not greedy. You're not stingy. You're willing to give. And you'll come to find the more you give, the more God will bring. Yes, sir. I mean, He'll do it. The more, you, the more you're willing to give, I mean, He'll... He said in Malachi, He said, try me. Try me. And see if I won't pour out, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you don't have room to receive. Think about that. Doesn't that sound a lot like what King David said? My cup runneth over. Huh? Don't you know the Lord knew that cup was full and he kept on pouring? Praise God, he wants to bless people to the point that their cup's running over. On the table, if Eli was pouring a cup full of milk and it was running over the top, I'd probably get onto him. But the, I call that waste and the Lord calls that being prosperous. Praise God, He wants to fill your cup over to where it's running on the table, out in the floor, out the doors of your house, and people look at that. They'll, people stand on the outside and look at that person and they'll say, my God, what are them people doing? They're blessed. Everywhere they go, they're blessed coming in, blessed going out. Everything they've got is blessed. That's what the Lord wants to do. And you can do that and have money, have resources, and it not have you it not become a thing that chokes out the Word. Because it can help you even press, push the kingdom of God even further. Because it costs money to preach the kingdom of God. You don't think so? Tell KU, hey, we're working for God. We're not going to pay your electric bill this month. October roll around here, we'd be having services like old time by candlelight. And <laughs> no heat. <laughs> See what I mean? So there's some things to think about. Uh, the desires for other things. It says this, the Lord said to me like this, He said, this could really be summed up by saying that this is a longing to do all kinds of other things that do not benefit you spiritually. For example, you can like to fish and then it get a hold of you and you become obsessed with it. Where you're skipping church, you're ignoring your family, you're not, you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing because you're obsessed now with fishing, with men, it's work. No. Right? So, I mean, there are all kinds of things that can become that focus. 
So that is a desire for other things. Pleasures of this life. Well, you've heard the saying, too much of a good thing is a good thing, haven't you? I mean, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with having too much of a good thing? Well, when it becomes, when it, be, when it gets to the heart. See, it's just dealing with issues of the heart. And a good thing can, again, get a hold of you, and then you become infatuated with it. You become obsessed with it, and that's all you think about. That's all you want to do, and it leads you astray. See that? Does that make sense? Pleasures of, that, of this life. So these are things that cause spiritual regression. And we're going to land right here. Because then we need to, we're going to talk about part two, which is understanding what makes you you. So this is all a part of the elementary principles of Christ. So we've talked about, we've established, again, the high priesthood, what Jesus has done. All right. We've established that we can step backwards from a higher spiritual point down to back down to a lower spiritual point, even to the point of just the very beginning. All right. So the very first, this is kind of like the this is kind of like the precursor. This is kind of like, you know, when you're going to cut down the big tree, sometimes you got to cut down the underbrush before you can cut down the big trees, right? So this is cutting down the underbrush. Because we're going to talk about next is the very first thing that's mentioned here in the elementary principles of Christ. Repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. So what does it actually mean? What does being born again mean? What does being saved actually mean? What takes place? Does the Bible actually describe to us what takes place when you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord? And that is what we're going to pick up next time. We're going to talk about what actually happens to you or a person. What happened to you when you accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord and what happens to other people. It's going to be, it's going to be really, really good. I'm excited about it because this is going to be something that once you understand what actually happened to you when you were born again, it's going to repair a whole lot of holes in a lot of people's foundations. Because people just think, well, I just said a few words and now I believe that. Now, eventually when I die, I'm going to get to go to heaven. And that's where a lot of people live and that's why they live defeated. That's why they live without a lot of joy and without a lot of hope. And we're going to cover that. And we're going to, the Bible tells us exactly what happens to you when you're born again. And it describes it in depth. And it's going to clear up not only what happens to you in being born again, but... It's going to clear up one of the doctrines of the baptism. And it's going to clear up some stuff at the end of Mark 16 that Jesus says. It's beautiful. Okay? Any questions? Any comments? If you have complaints, forward them to Uncle James. He's my complaint department. <laughs> James says, he says, no, I'm not listening. All right, let's, let, let's pray and let's close this thing out. Father, we love you. You're beautiful. Lord Jesus, you're beautiful. Holy Spirit, you're beautiful. I thank you. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the word that you give us. You're good. Father, I pray that we've sowed seed or that we've watered seed, but one way or the other, I believe you for the increase. And I thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.